Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 27. That is our theme verse uh, of this series. Verse 27 says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith with which is the good news. So our theme so far has been all about, through Philippians, has been all about conducting ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we've been talking about our, our gospel living, our, our conduct. Does it reflect, does it mirror the image and person of Jesus Christ? Now our text today uh, may seem like a little bit of an odd text, but we are uh, simply working our way through Philippians. And so I'm not just going to skip it because it may seem odd or may seem like it doesn't fit or or maybe it doesn't speak to you initially, but I believe and I promise you will be challenged this morning uh, as we look at this text. So look at Philippians chapter two, verse 19 says, if the Lord Jesus is willing, Paul again, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. This is a church that he has a very close relationship with. Uh, He is in prison right now as he's writing. And so there is another individual that is giving him updates about the church and also delivering the letter that he is presently writing. And so listen to what he says. If the Lord Jesus is willing, Paul said, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father He has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord, Paul says, that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill and certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died, but God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious, Paul said, to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve Look at verse 30, for he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that all of scripture is God-breathed. All of it, it, all of scripture is useful. It still speaks to us today. So Holy Spirit, I pray that in these next few moments that you would captivate the attention of every person in this room, myself included. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand the word that you have for us in this room today. Holy Spirit, help me to speak not a single word of my own, but only that which comes from you. And I pray that as I declare your word, may your word change and transform every person in this room today so that we will leave different than how we came in this morning. Help me to declare your word with boldness, with clarity, with simplicity, with passion. God, help me to decrease 
and you to increase and be the focus of our time together, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me begin with this statement, probably a rather bold or provocative statement to begin with. Don't tune me out just yet. <laughs> um, but let me, let me begin with this statement. There is no room for selfish behavior inside the body of Christ while doing the work of God. I'm going to unpack that a little bit this morning, but let me begin by just simply saying this letter, the letter to the church at Philippi, is loaded with language, highlighting the need and the call for God's people to partner together in kingdom work. We've, we've talked about over the last several weeks the partnership that exists between Paul and the church and Philippi and God in this kingdom work. There's also been a call or a need for the church to be unified, not, not to have uniformity, not everyone to look alike or sound alike, but to be unified around the gospel mission. And we looked at more specifically last week, this call to live a life of humility and selflessness. Listen to what Paul says already. We've seen this Philippians chapter one, verse five. He says, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. So as he writes to the church of Philippi, he's reminding them that there is a partnership that exists between him, the church planter, and this church at Philippi. We read in Philippians chapter one, again, verse 27, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And whether I come and see you again or not only hear about you, listen, I will know that you are, look at this, standing together, with one spirit and one purpose. There is a call to be unified in the gospel mission. Again, this is not a call to uniformity. Paul was not asking the church in Philippi to all dress alike or all to sound alike or, or for them to do the exact same thing every single day. He was calling them to be unified around a mission, around a purpose, to stand together, to be unified in their purpose and in their spirit to make certain that this gospel, this good news about Jesus Christ can be heard across the known world because he knew that the only thing that would bring change and transformation to their community, to that world, was indeed the gospel. And so that's why Paul is calling this church, be unified, have the same mind, the same spirit, so that you can, can work together as partners to make certain that the gospel is heard. We see this a little bit further than in chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Paul says, do not be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Folks, if the church today is going to be effective at advancing the kingdom of God, if we're going to be effective at seeing the gospel reach places where it's never been heard or never been reached, if it's gonna be effective at changing and transforming communities for Christ, then church, we on the inside, we need to make certain that we don't allow division and chaos and, and bitterness to creep its way inside the church. We need to be unified. Does that mean we can't have differing opinions? No, we're allowed to have different opinions. That's fine, but we still need to be unified 
unified around the mission that God has called us to be engaged in, and that is reaching this community, reaching people for Christ with the gospel. And, and I will tell you this, if, if the church is divided, if the church has strife, if there is bickering and arguing and complaining inside the local church, it will be very difficult for us to be effective at doing what God has called us to do. Why? Because we're going to be so focused on what's happening internally and not focused on what should be happening outside the, the boundary of this church. And so Paul is calling the church of Philippi. There was not a lot of strife necessarily. There was not a lot of conflict yet, but he was warning them and he was challenging them to make certain that they, they, they deal with the internal strife that, that is occurring so that they can be effective at doing what God had called them to do in the first place. Our text today, though it is a bit more mundane uh, in its content compared to some of the previous passages we've looked at, will continue to push against the inclination towards selfish living. And it will challenge us to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Today, we're going to really try to grasp the overall purpose of this portion of Paul's letter, and we're going to pull out some very powerful words of truth that I believe will challenge us to live faithfully the gospel life that God has called us to live. Now, let me begin, and I want you to stick with me just for a few moments this morning. I want to begin, first of all, by really just trying to sort out the purpose of this kind of seemingly mundane section of the letter. Now, we've dealt with some pretty, pretty powerful statements. We looked at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, what is referred to as the Christ hymn. And, and it talks about, you know, Christ who, who came in the form of man. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And then God elevated him or exalted him to the highest place. And we talked about passages like Philippians 1, 27. We, had to, we are to have conduct that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we get to chapter 2, verse 19, and, and it's a little bit different. It seems a little bit more mundane at first. First glance, if you read this passage, and I know I did when I read it initially, you begin to wonder what purpose this portion of the letter serves, especially in relationship to the call to live worthy of the gospel. Now, how many would agree with me this morning that all of scripture is not only God breathed, but it is useful and it still speaks to us today, right? Amen. We would all agree that, that this, that all of scripture, we, we don't get the, the honor or the privilege. Uh, I shouldn't even say honor or privilege. We don't get the right to go through scripture and say, well, this one, you know, this is kind of boring. I'm not interested in this portion of scripture. We're going to skip it today. No, all of scripture, I believe is useful and still speaks to us Today And so at first glance, it doesn't appear, this passage doesn't appear to be any theological instruction like that of Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11. There are no clear exhortations or challenges given to the church in Philippi regarding their way of life. And it even seems that, that Paul here is taking a brief train uh, or a brief um, kind of pause in his train of thought. But what we see here is we are essentially looking, and this is what I want you to understand, we are essentially looking at Paul's words of commendation spoken over two significant partners in this gospel work. Not only was the church at Philippi partners in advancing the gospel, but Paul had others, other co-workers, other, other traveling companions, missionary partners who, who were also engaged in this same missionary work. And one of them was Timothy. 
We're going to talk about him in just a moment. And another was Epaphroditus, who was actually sent to Paul by the church at Philippi. And so we're going to see in this section, what Paul is going to do is, is it, it, we're going to explore some of these words of, of commendation or recommendation that Paul speaks over two very significant companions or partners in this gospel work. Now, letters of commendation or recommendation are often written by someone who knows us very well, someone who can serve kind of as a witness to my character and my work ethic and is usually meant for a future employer or maybe even a college campus. Some of you probably have had to either write letters of recommendation or, or ask others to write a letter of recommendation for you. And usually, almost always, you ask somebody that knows you, that, that knows your character, that can speak to your work ethic, that knows your values. So when they write, they can write honestly about you. And so what we see here in this text is we're essentially getting two letters of recommendation or words of commendation that are being spoken over two very significant partners in this gospel work, one being Timothy and the other being Epaphroditus. When we dig a little bit deeper, not only do we have two letters of recommendation, but we are given greater insight into the overall purpose of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, and more importantly, a unique challenge to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. So I wanna sort out what's, what's going on with this portion of the letter. What are we dealing with here? What is, Paul, what is Paul saying to the church at Philippi? Let me just make a few comments. First of all, Paul is going to highlight here in this text today, the sending of two workers, the reason that they were being sent, and then he's going to offer some words of commendation over them. Now, chronologically speaking, I want you to work with me for just a moment. Chronologically speaking, it would make more sense in this passage for Paul to begin with his words of commendation spoken over Epaphroditus, because he is the one who will actually carry this letter, um, this letter that Paul is writing in prison. He is the one that's going to carry it back to the church in Philippi. He is the one who will arrive first. He will be there before Timothy. He's going to get there certainly before Paul because Paul's still in prison. So chronologically speaking, it would make sense for Paul to talk first about Epaphroditus in this section because he's the one who's being sent first. He will be followed up by Timothy and then later, hopefully, Paul. But chronology, and I want you to see this here, chronology is not the focus at this point. It's about the progress of the gospel. So the reason that Paul will refer to Timothy and speak words of commendation over him first, even though Timothy isn't going to be the first one to arrive on the scene, is because the focus of this whole letter is about the progress of the gospel, making certain that it is advancing. He notes this in his opening Thanksgiving. He notes it even in his own life. And it's what he wants to learn about them. He wants to see, he wants to hear reports that this church in Philippi that he has partnered with now for several years is, is engaging in this work that God had called them to, that they are progressing the gospel. He wants to hear good reports, not bad reports. Essentially, Paul is wanting to answer this question about the church in Philippi. Is their gospel advancement? among this church? Are they progressing, moving forward the gospel? So what does he do to answer that question? He begins with Timothy. Let me just kind of answer a few questions for you. First of all, why was it necessary to send Timothy to Philippi in the first place? 
First, recall that Timothy, remember, Timothy was one of Paul's missionary companions, and he actually becomes a very young pastor in the city of Ephesus. Look in Acts chapter 16, verses one and two. It says, Paul went first to Derbe and then on to Lystra where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. So Timothy was one of Paul's traveling companions. He was one of the missionary partners who helped plant churches. But eventually, Timothy would remain in Ephesus and he would, he would pastor the church in Ephesus. And Paul then would write letters to Timothy to encourage him in that work. We see that the plan initially here, look at this. The plan was to send Timothy ahead of Paul while his imprisonment was being resolved with the hopes that the letter that Paul sent to the church that was going to be delivered by Epaphroditus would stir them on to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And then this, quote, good news could be brought back to Paul and cheer him up. Look at chapter two, verse 19 again. It says, if the Lord Jesus is willing, Paul said, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. So here's what Paul is hoping for. He was hoping that, that in sending Timothy, first of all, sending Epaphroditus with this letter to the church in Philippi first, but, but he was hoping for Timothy to report back about their situation to see if his letter was fruitful or not. So really what Paul is looking for, what he's aiming for, in this section is he wants to send this letter to the church. He wants it to arrive in the hands of Epaphroditus and he wants somebody to stand up before the congregation and read this letter. And then Paul's hope is that they will hear the letter and they will be obedient to what Paul is calling them to do so that when Timothy finally comes, he would be the second guy to arrive. When Timothy finally comes, he will come and he will see a transformed church, a church that, that heard the letter and responded to the letter. So that's essentially what he's looking for. He's gonna send this letter. Epaphroditus is going to deliver it to the people in Philippi and it's gonna be read to the church. And the hope, Paul's hope, is that they will hear the letter and then respond faithfully to the message that Paul is encouraging them with. So that when Timothy finally does come, when Timothy arrives on the scene, he shows up and he sees, okay, this church has it together. They're unified in their mission. They're excited and they're passionate about progressing and moving the gospel forward. Man, they're, they're unified together. There's no complaining. There's no bickering. There's no arguing. So that when Timothy arrives on the scene, he can, he can see the good things that are happening. And then he can return to Paul who is in prison and say, hey, Paul, let me just remind you. Let me cheer you up with this news. The church that you planted in Philippi, they got it. They have it together. They, they are engaged in the mission work that God has called them to. And so it, that's why it's not about chronology. It's not about Epaphroditus going first and, and then talking about Timothy. The whole point that Paul wants to make is that I'm sending this letter and, and I want you to hear the words of this letter and I want you to respond to it so that when Timothy does arrive on the scene, he can bring me some good news. He can tell me how faithful you are. He can tell me how passionate you are about progressing and, and moving forward the gospel of Jesus Christ. Was there still strife and internal unrest or were they unified in their mission, mission and living godly lives in a pagan world? This visit then by Timothy would be for Paul's sake. It would be 
for Paul's sake to refresh and encourage him and update him on what is taking place. So that's why Timothy was being sent. What about Epaphroditus? Why was he sent to Paul in the first place? Because he came from the church in Philippi. They're the ones that sent Epaphroditus to Paul. Why was he sent? He was sent by the church to Paul in prison to bring a gift and to care for Paul's needs. Look at Philippians chapter two, verse 25. It says, meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you, which indicates that he came from them in the first place. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. We learn a little bit more about him and this church in Philippians chapter four. Look at verse 18. It says, at the moment, Paul says, I have all that I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts that you, church, sent me with Epaphroditus. They are sweet. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. So we see that Epaphroditus was sent to Paul in the first place to bring him gifts and to supply and to care for some of his needs. Some of the things that we don't usually often think about in this particular time, prisoners, they were not cared for by the state. They didn't have a kitchen in their, in their prison or their praetorium guard where they were baking food for those that were in prison. It required, uh, it required friends or family to come and to help supply some of those needs. So that's why the church, to, to help care for Paul while he is in prison, they, they send one of their workers, they send one of their own to come to Paul and to help take care of some of those needs, some of the necessities of life, to, to provide food, to bring a gift and an offering to him so that he can be sustained while he continues to do the work of God. This was no small task performed by Epaphroditus. In fact, we see in scripture that this task almost cost him his life. Look at chapter two, verse 30. He says, he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you could not do from far away. But then why did Paul send him back to the church? So Philippi sent Epaphroditus to Paul, but now Paul's gonna send him back. But why? What was the reason? Epaphroditus was desirous to return. He wanted to go back to his family because of his own affection for this church. As simply, as simply what, what Epaphroditus desires is he longs to be back with his family. He longs to be reunited with them. He's been gone for a while. He was sick, he was ill, and he longs to return to the place that he called home. It wasn't necessarily just his biological family, but it was his church family. It was his companions, those who were partnering together in the work of the ministry, and he desired to be back with them to continue that work. He was also distressed that his own spiritual family was aware of his serious illness, but maybe not necessarily aware of his healing or his resolution. We read in chapter two, verse 26, he says, I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And so he wanted to get back as soon as possible so he could show them, so he could demonstrate with his own life that he's no longer ill, that he's okay. He wants to make certain that they're no longer distressed, but that they can rest calmly knowing that he, one of the partners in this church was indeed well. We also know that Paul saw this as an opportunity for God's incredible mercy to be put on display. Look at chapter two, verse 27. He certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. Here's the reality. Most people in that day 
when they faced death's door, they likely would not recover. But the very fact that Epaphroditus recovered from death's door was an opportunity for God's mercy, God's healing power to be on display. So Paul wanted to send Epaphroditus back to the church in Philippi for them to see the power of their living God, for his mercy to be on display. That's why he says he was certainly ill. In fact, he almost died, but God had mercy on him. And so Paul wants to send him back to the church so they can see the mercy and the faithfulness of God put on display. So we now have at least maybe a better grasp on the purpose of this section. But note that when Paul commends both Timothy and Epaphroditus in his letter, we're given some more clear insights into living our life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, which is what Paul's letter is all about. So I wanna take just the remainder of the time, give you this last point, but kind of unpack two particular things. I wanna unpack and embrace the powerful truths that emerge from Paul's words of commendation regarding this continual call to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now recall this, remember I said this at the very beginning, there is no room No room for selfish living inside the body of Christ and certainly not when we are engaging in kingdom work. So conduct that is worthy of the gospel, we see in this text at least manifest itself in two very distinct ways. And we see it based on the example of Timothy and also based on the example of Epaphroditus. Timothy, a coworker, a partner in advancing the gospel with Paul and Epaphroditus, one of the members of the church in Philippi. But through their life, we're gonna see this morning, through their life, they, they display and they demonstrate for us what it looks like for believers, people who say yes to Jesus, to have conduct that is worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. So I wanna share those two with you this morning. Number one, a genuine care and concern for others becomes my natural way of living. Conduct that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ says that a genuine care and concern for others becomes my natural way of living. Look at chapter two again, verses 20 through 22. Paul says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares for your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. So what is this this genuine care, this genuine concern? What does it look like in the flesh? What does it look like for you and me, even today, to reveal and to demonstrate and to live our lives in such a way where genuine care and concern becomes part of our natural way of living? Let me share a few things very practically with us this morning. Number one, If this is true of us, we will have a natural concern for the spiritual well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ. If, If we are going to express a genuine care and concern for others, that means that we, church, we have to have a natural concern, not just for the physical well-being of those that are a part of this body, but we should care and be concerned about the spiritual well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Uh, we, we should have an interest in, now we don't, we don't need to necessarily bug people about it all the time, but we should have an interest in the spiritual well-being of one another. We should pray for one another. We should, we should be concerned about where they are spiritually, where, where we are spiritually. We should ask questions. We should hold one another accountable so that we can live faithfully for Christ. And if we genuinely have care and concern for others, it, it shouldn't just be something on the surface, it shouldn't just be a, a concern for self and I don't care what you do, you, you live your life and you live however you want. No, we should have a concern for one another when it comes to our spiritual well-being. I think it would be fair and appropriate, especially if you have a relationship with somebody, to ask questions of accountability. How, how is your relationship with God? What does your devotion time look like? What is God speaking to you about? What is he encouraging you in? Or, or what is something or an area that you're struggling with? We need people in our life that, that care enough about not just my physical well-being, but my spiritual well-being to ask us those questions. And if we truly have a genuine care and concern for others, then we're gonna take an interest in the spiritual well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I would not suggest to you to go find a random person on the road and start asking them all of those questions. It's much more helpful if you have some type of relationship with them. But the reality is, church, we should care about, not just those in this room, but we should also care about the spiritual well-being of the people in this community, in this county, in this state, and across the globe. We have a response, if, if, if we truly are going to have conduct that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we truly know what the gospel can do in somebody's heart and life, then we should truly be concerned and take an interest in the well-being, spiritual well-being of others. Number two, if this is true of us, we will have a natural concern for the lost sheep in Dunkirk, but also across the globe. If we're gonna live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and if we're going to reflect an attitude or a life where we demonstrate genuine care and concern for others, then we need to have a natural concern for the lost sheep here in Dunkirk, but also across the globe. 1,400 people in Dunkirk, 13,000 in Jay County who are unchurched, three and a half billion people across the globe who have no access to the gospel whatsoever. Folks, if we truly are living in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, those things should concern us. They concern the heart of God. Those are, uh, he, he certainly cares about it. I think if you read scripture, it's pretty clear that Jesus has a heart for the lost. He, he will, in the parable, he will leave behind the 99 and he will go after the one because he cares about those who are far from him. So should we. Number three, if this is true of us, we will make gospel proclamation and being faithful witnesses of Christ a passion and a priority in our life. If we truly believe that Jesus Christ is the only answer, he is the only hope, and he is the only way to the Father, then if we truly want to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, we will make certain that gospel proclamation that Jesus Christ is the only way becomes part of our passion and priority in life. If we have a concern and care for others, then this will be true of us. Number four, if we have genuine care and concern for others, we will cultivate an intercessory prayer life for the lost, for the sick, for the outcast, because we care. 
If we have genuine care and concern for others, if that is part of my natural inclination, then I'm going to get down on my knees and I'm going to intercede for those who are sick and I'm going to intercede for those who are lost and I'm going to intercede for those who are outcasts. I'm going to intercede for those who have no hope if we truly have care and concern for their spiritual well-being. Number five, we will steward our resources, our time and talents and our treasures in a godly manner with integrity, all for the sake of the kingdom. If we truly care and concern about others or have a concern about others, we will steward our resources in a godly manner. But, but the, the opposite is true. If all we care about is ourself, if all we care about is our own spiritual well-being and, and if we live our life saying, you know what, I don't care about you, I don't care what you do, I don't care you know, where you are spiritually, then the reality is we're not gonna steward our resources, our time, our talents, or our treasures in a godly manner. Instead, we're gonna do what we want to do. But if we truly have a concern and care for others, we will start to steward those resources in a godly manner. Think of the, the, the young boy, the five loaves of bread and two fish. You know, when he woke up that day, he, he had no idea what was gonna happen with those five loaves of bread and two fish that his mom packed for lunch that day. He had no clue. He had no clue. He was just minding his own business. But, but when, when it came time, he was asked, you know, what do you have? He says, well, I have five loaves and two fish. And he was willing to give that up. And God took the five loaves and two fish and did an incredible miracle, fed 5,000 men plus women and children, all because a little boy was willing to steward what he had for the sake of the kingdom. One writer said this, our resources given to us by God, given back to God out of obedience will produce way more spiritual results than what they could in our own hands. When we give back to God what was given to us in the first place, they will produce way more spiritual results than what they could do in our own hands. Number six, we will not become desensitized to the presence of sin and godlessness. Instead, we will long for God's transforming power to work in people's hearts and lives with a desire for reconciliation, wholeness, and hope to be experienced. If we truly have a concern and care for others, we will not become desensitized to the sin that exists in our world. Instead, we will long for and pray for God's transforming work to move in people's life. And number seven, we will be faithful to do our part in this kingdom work. If we truly care about others, if we have a genuine concern for other people, we will plant seeds, we will serve, we will fellowship, we will pour into the hearts and lives of others knowing that it will produce spiritual results. Timothy genuinely cared for others unlike some who were only concerned about their own well-being. So the question I ask us this morning is, do we truly, truly, truly love our neighbor? Is genuine care and concern for another individual our natural inclination, or are we more inclined to care about self and no one else? Number two, the second thing is this, and I'll give this to you quickly and we'll be done. Conduct that is worthy of the gospel is demonstrated this way. There should be a willingness to risk my own life for the sake of, the, of eternity, become, and that becomes part of my DNA. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 29 through 30. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy give him the honor that people like him deserve, for he risked his life for the work of Christ. He was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. So now he's talking about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, a servant of the Lord, he was willing to lay down his life for the sake of the gospel because he knew it would result in great spiritual fruits. 
Some I know are willing, there, there's people on this planet that are probably willing to lay down their life for a family member, maybe a very close friend, but few will risk their life for an enemy. Very few people are willing to put their life on the line for somebody that, that, that is considered an enemy. Now, there's many who may lay their life down for a friend or a co close family member, but consider what Jesus did. Jesus put his life on the line for enemies, for sinful humanity. We, we are called in scripture before we come to know Christ, we're referred to as children of wrath. And yet Jesus died for us. He laid down his life for us. He risked it all because he knew it would result in great spiritual fruit. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Epaphroditus, he was willing to risk his life if it meant the advancement of the gospel. And Paul certainly was willing to take this risk. We, we know several missionaries who, who sacrifice everything and risk their lives and the lives of their families all for the sake of eternity. Listen to this story. This letter was written by Southern Baptist missionary to Iraq, Karen Watson, Prior to leaving for the Middle East, the letter was dated March 7, 2003. Karen was actually killed along with four other missionaries on March 15, 2004. And here's the letter. Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective, to suffer was expected. His glory was my reward. His glory was my reward. One of the most important things to remember right now is to preserve the work. I am writing this as if I'm still working with my people group. I thank you all so much for your prayers and support. Surely your reward in heaven will be great. Thank you for investing in my life and spiritual well-being. Keep sending missionaries out. Keep raising up fine young pastors in regard Guards to any service, keep it all small and simple. Yes, simply just preach the gospel. Be bold and preach the life-saving, life-changing, forever eternal gospel. Give glory and honor to our Father. And then she writes this, the missionary heart, care more than some think is wise, risk more than some think is safe, dream more than some think is practical, expect more than some think is possible. I was called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you too and my church family in his care, Shalom, Karen. So here's the question we have to wrestle with. Am I so moved by the necessity of the gospel being heard that I would be willing to do whatever it takes, no matter the risk, out of obedience to Christ to ensure that all hear the name of Jesus? Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But listen to what Paul says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Am I so moved by the necessity of every person hearing the name of Jesus that I'm willing to do whatever is necessary that I'm willing to risk it all for the sake of eternity. Epaphroditus, he was willing to risk his life for the advancement of the gospel. Paul was willing to lay down his life for the sake of the gospel. He said, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was willing to risk it all, but are we? Are we willing to risk it all for the sake of advancing the gospel? How do I get to this place where my selfish ways are abandoned? And my only concern is the advancement of the gospel. 
three very simple yet very challenging answers to that question. Number one, we need the empowerment, the strength, and the daily guidance of the Holy Spirit. There is no person in this room today that will get to a place in your life where you can completely abandon all selfish ways in the flesh. We need the empowerment, we need the strength, and we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit. As I said last week, that lives inside of us. We have all of the Holy Spirit, but how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? When we rely on him, God can do amazing and incredible things through those who rely and depend on his strength. We cannot get to this place by our own will. Instead, it requires complete dependence on God and trust in his ways. Worship team, would you come this morning? Consider this, don't tune me out just yet. Consider Paul's experience. He had lots of risks. He experienced suffering and hardship. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was ridiculed. He was willing to risk it all, including his own life, if it meant that the gospel would advance. Folks, if we want to see the advancement of the gospel even here in our own community, there can never, there's no room, no room for selfish ways inside the local body. Instead, we need to commit ourselves to be unified, commit ourselves to doing the work that God has called us to do. Those whose conduct is worthy of the gospel are willing to risk it all for eternity's sake. Selfishness and an an unwillingness to take risks for the kingdom will not produce spiritual fruits. Timothy had a deep and genuine concern for others. Paphroditus was willing to do whatever was necessary to advance the gospel, even if it meant his life. Paul's desire was that the church in Philippi would make a kingdom difference. But here's the question I have for us. Ask yourself this, how about me? Am I only concerned about myself? Am I resistant or reluctant? to take a risk for the kingdom? As a church, do we have a genuine concern and care for those in our community? And as a church, are we willing to do what is nef- whatever is necessary to reach people for Christ? Would you stand with me this morning? I wanna end with this story. November 1964, anarchy broke out Belgian Congo Assemblies of God missionary J.W. Tucker knew he was at risk, but he stayed where God had placed him. One day a mob attacked and killed him with sticks, clubs, fists, and broken bottles. They took his body, they threw it in the back of a truck, drove a good distance, tossed his corpse to the crocodiles in the river, what is now the Democratic Republic of the Congo. J.W. Tucker had risked everything, yet he seemingly had nothing to show for it. 30 years later, John Weedman, a close friend of Tucker's, was in the country by then known as Zare and learned how God used that missionary sacrifice. Bomo Kandi River flows through the middle of the Mangbito tribe, a people virtually without the gospel. During a time of civil war, the Mangbito king became distressed, the violence and appeal to the central government in Kinshasa for help central government, they responded by sending a man called the Brigadier, a well-known policeman of strong stature and reputation who came from the region of Isaro. 
J.W. Tucker had won the brigadier to the Lord just two months before he was killed. So the brigadier determined to reach the Mangbitos with the gospel, the only way to peace. Being a relatively new Christian, he did his best to witness, but he was met with no response. Then one day he heard of a Mangbito tradition that said, if the blood of, a, of any man flows in the Bomokandi River, you must listen to his message. The saying had been with the Mangbitos from time immemorial. The brigadier called for the king and all the village elders. They gathered in full assembly to hear his address. And here's what he said. Some time ago, a man was killed. His body was thrown into your Bomokandi River. The crocodiles in this river ate him up. His blood flowed in your river. But before he died, he left me a message. This message concerns God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to this world to save people who were sinners. He died for the sins of the world. He died for many sins. I received this message and it changed my life. And as the brigadier preached, the spirit of God descended and people began to fall on their knees and cry out to the Lord. And many were converted. Since that day, thousands of Mangbitos have come to Christ and dozens of assemblies of God churches have opened as a result of the message, the man whose blood flowed in the Bomokandi River. One man's care and concern for a lost tribe in Congo. And this man's concern and his willingness to risk his life for Christ resulted in an entire people group coming to Christ, churches being planted everywhere. What about me? What about us? Am I concerned only about myself or do I have a concern and care for others? really willing to risk my life, to risk it all for the sake of the gospel. One man was willing. He gave his life up 30 years later. Entire tribe, entire group of people came to know Christ. Churches being planted everywhere, all because one man was willing to risk it all because he cared for the same people Christ had died for. What about us? Do we care? Do we have that type of concern? Are we willing to risk it all and to do what God asks us to do?